What we saw in 2021 is the activity was stunning. These are huge numbers and a lot is at stake. M&A, always a risky proposition. Culture clashes and compensation clashes. The riskiness has, has gotten higher. Governance Matters, a podcast for corporate secretaries. Global mergers and acquisitions have been on a tear. Last year's 60,000 deals were valued at an all-time high of about $5 trillion. This year is uncertain. And when it comes to M&A, my guest today warns that uncertainty is your biggest enemy. Robin Farrakhan is founder and CEO of governance and compensation specialists, Farriant Advisors. She believes that among all the potential pitfalls facing M&As this year, the issue of executive pay, now more than ever, has the power to undermine and possibly sabotage even the biggest deals. We'll find out why and what you can do about it. On this Ticker Podcast, Robin Farrakhan with the Pro's Guide to Getting Executive Compensation Right in 2022. So if we, if we think about, um, you know, optimizing the, the success of a, of a deal, um, you know, uncertainty is the enemy. Uh, and so kind of in the first phase, it's the quiet phase of a merger and acquisition, and it's really important to bring in as few people under the tent as possible uh, so that we don't create unnecessary anxiety in the organization, um, particularly if the deal isn't, isn't going to um, consummate. So it's, it's really important to kind of keep the deal quiet and then to use that time to be extremely planful. Uh, with the organization. And, and we saw one instance of this that, where I think they did a pretty good job of the two sides coming together. This was more of a merger of equals, and there's the, the, the process is very different if you're talking about a merger of equals versus um, a, t- a tuck under acquisition or something of that nature. But with the merger of equals, um, these two sides got together and literally uh, designed the organization chart and said, okay, somebody from this company is going to be in charge here. Somebody in this company is going to be in charge there. And they, of course, redesigned the organization. There were some new positions uh, to take the new strategy and the, and the new combined company into account. And I think that was really um, an important step. So it created at least a framework of uh, some certainty as to what was going to happen. And then um, the idea, when they when they finally did announce it, to the organization more broadly or more, they brought more people into it, um, people had some sense of the people who they knew would be in leadership positions. Mm-hmm. And that created a much more calm atmosphere around the acquisition or about around the merger than, um, you know, if, if they saw that they were going to be working for a whole new team, which is, which is more anxiety producing. So that was, that was one, and just to be really planful about it. The other thing um, that we find during this phase is it's so important to try as best as possible to kind of put people into segments. So as part of any merger acquisition, there'll be people you want to keep and you want to keep them, um, you know, beyond, beyond the acquisition and indefinitely be part of the new management team. 
there will be others that you want to keep for a certain amount of time through the acquisition, through a transition, but then um, they, they probably won't stay in their jobs. And so you want the company to have optionality around that and, uh, you know, be able to tell people, I need you for a certain amount of time, and then we'll decide or, or we won't need you anymore. And then the third group who, at time of, of, the, um, of the merger acquisition, probably won't stay. And to have compensation arrangements for each of those segments, because if you don't, again, you're leaving yourself very, very vulnerable to the organization not having any optionality as to what happens to the people, and the people all just um, go, you know, going their own way. So, um, you know, who who goes? You know, you want to make sure you have good severance arrangements in place, possible equity vesting in place. Uh, who stays through a certain amount of time, but maybe not indefinitely. You want to make sure you have retention or stay bonuses for them that um, provide a premium for staying through a specified period of time. Uh, and then for those who you want to stay permanently, you might have a retention package, uh, which might look like more like stock. It might be less cash and more stock because it might be you want that person to stay longer with a new entity. But it also is what are the new compensation arrangements for that person's job post-merger or acquisition. And that's really important. And lots of times the jobs have gotten bigger. You have to rescope the jobs when you um, merge. And, um, you know, possibly the pay levels go up. So I think that's really, um, that's really a critical piece to, I mean, to consider when all this in the get, compensation get sort of, realm. Right. When does all this get drafted out exactly? Is this happening... So usually the initial blueprint, and it's really just a, a, a rough blueprint, a rough out, it happens before the, you know, in a quiet period. Um, but then once the merger becomes well better known throughout the organization, each organization, okay. the organizations really aren't free to talk with one another. They're still separate. They still have separate shareholder bases. Um, but the organization, they need to start um, kind of deciding uh, a little bit more specifically who might, who might go where um, and, and how long people might be kept. But still, there's, there's things they can't share because there's still, still two separate organizations, um, like pay levels in particular. Hmm. So um, we, we find that a lot of the work gets done you know, once the merger's consummated, but it has to be very quick work um, that where there was a lot of setup to it so that, you know, that work can happen very quickly and you can get rid of the uncertainty as quickly as possible. Um, the other thing I just want to say, Jeff, that's really important is that, mm-hmm. you know, there's always a danger that the merger acquisition won't go through. And so um, the organization has to plan for that. That's why they need to try to keep everybody intact in their jobs, interested in moving in the right direction, you know, as a separate entity um, until the, the, the merger or acquisitions actually consummated, because if it falls through, uh, they have to continue to operate as a, as, a, as a really viable going concern. And if they don't, uh, they will have lost a lot of people and, you know, the franchise starts to get diminished. Um, I'd like to talk about a couple of other things, too, that are so important in today's environment and um, what some of the people we talk to is, or, or what we work with um, 
shared with us our experience. You know, most of the time our firm, Ferient, tends to work at the executive level, um, and we help with all of these things, you know, the segmentation of the population into, you know, the, those who are staying, those who are staying past a certain amount of time, and those who are, you know, but not, not indefinitely, and those who are, who are being asked to leave. But down the line in the broader base of the population, um, it's our experience that those folks really worry about compensation and benefits. And, and benefits in particular are really important. And there are a lot of questions around, you know, what are, you know, what does the retirement package look like? What is the health, what are the health benefits going to be? Uh, those kind of things. And in a merger of equals, I've seen what, what has worked with, with, um, a couple of our clients is a strategy called adopt and go which is you take both sides of, of the organization, of the merged organization, and you say, okay, you know, we can't cherry pick everything, but within a certain budget, we're going to say we're going to adopt this plan from this company, that plan from that company, and, and move forward. And that's a real merger of equals. Um, and other kinds of organizations where you, you might be merging into another company, but you're really taking on the other company's benefits, it's really important to communicate to people what those are uh, down the line so that they understand um, what their benefit packages are going to look like, what their health care plan is going to look like, those kind of things. Uh, and, and, again, un, you know, uncertainty is a big problem, and the more you can move quickly and create certainty around that, the, the, the better off our experiences are going to be. So that's, that's one big point, and... Um, we have we have seen that one in action. The second is, um, you know, we we talked a little bit about retention, but with the great resignation going on, um, we're seeing more and more uh, companies put together, you know, equity pools uh, to stake people in a new company and um, and 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 stay bonuses and things like this, possibly a special integration bonus that people can use. Um, one example was uh, Bristol-Myers Squibb's uh, merger with Celgene. Uh, they had an integration bonus, and I think those can be very powerful to get people, you know, rowing in the right direction and the same direction together um, towards some common goals. What is and, that, and an, toward, an integration bonus? How would that work exactly? Yeah, Just so, so you would identify, yep, so... You would identify synergies that um, you want that organization to um, to realize as a result of the integration. So it might be around um, cost savings, hmm. or it might be around um, you know a build out of a of a technological platform, or you know you know cross selling around customers. There could be a, a any any number of things that you might want to do. And so what an integration bonus will do is um, provide people focus and provide a, an incentive around having those things, you know, come to fruition. And they're usually, they usually last one or two years. Um, they usually don't go beyond that. But then, you know, after that period, the, the, hopefully the organization has successfully integrated and you end up with, a, um, with people earning those bonuses. Okay. So that's another another important thing, and they can be very narrow, like really targeted toward a few people, or very broad. You know, everybody in the bonus plan might uh, participate in in the integration part of the bonus plan, for example. 
So um, that's the, the, the kind of another thing to keep in mind. And then um, I think the other thing that is so important in today's environment, not just the broader population base, but also paying attention to uh, diversity and inclusion. Mm. And um, I almost don't know, a com- I almost can't think of a company, Jeff, that doesn't have that uh, diversity as one of the top priorities in the organization. And I think if you think about a merger and acquisition situation where you're merging two entities, um, it you have an opportunity to continue to push on diversifying the workforce, and you also have a danger of kind of choosing people who then, you know, might actually diminish the diversity of the workforce. So I think paying attention to that is um, is extremely important. And we see more and more companies who are forecasting what the future organization is going to look like will actually run kind of potential workforce diversity scenarios to, to make sure that that diversity is being looked at. And then when the pay levels are being established, uh, it's important to really look at pay equity uh, by, by gender and by ethnicity uh, and possibly other diversity measures because if you don't, you could be in danger of, again, you know, not being, being less equitable than you once were. Oh. So I think that's really important. Um, and then one other thing I'd, I'd like to talk about on the whole diversity and inclusion thing, Jeff. You know, is, I want to I want to hit on that. I, yep. I definitely yeah, want to sure, go back go to that. I'm just want Okay. I, I keep asking myself: Are are investors do investors care? Are, are there signs that they do? I mean, I'm told they do, but are there? How do they play into the yeah. whole dynamic here? So, um, you know, the investors are going to be watching. The that, that's a really helpful point. Thank you. The investors are going to be watching really carefully how you know, the the merger is fair is faring. And they're gonna look for execution excellence. Um and if there's any you know if there's if the, if there's a misstep in terms of execution, um that could be um a a a call for, you know, ha- having the valuation of the company come down. Really? So uh, I mean so, just to put it crudely, they'll they'll be looking at these these contracts, these are they're, which are available to them, these... Um... Well, they'll be looking at contracts, but I'm not talking about just... Ex- they're ta- I'm talking about the execution of the whole oh, okay. merger and whether the... Col- and that gets into much broader. Is the workforce being retained? Is the, you know, how, is the culture being built? Or is the integration being successful? Are the synergies being realized? And they'll look at those kind of things to make sure that all that's happening. Now, going back to my diversity and inclusion point, um, they'll, they'll also be pushing on diversity, because they are already. Um, the diversity and climate are the two biggest ESG areas that investors are pushing on. And they are demanding evidence of a diverse workforce, diverse representation, not just in leadership, but broadly across the organization, a diverse board, and things of that nature. So um, for the combined entity, they're going to be looking at that just as they would uh, be looking at it for the two separate entities prior to the merger. Huh. So it's a it's going to be a it's a it's a really important thing to keep in mind. And I'm glad you brought it up. Okay. They're and also then... demanding you know pay equity, and so less companies are willing to report on that, but a few do. Um, hmm. You know, Citicorp being one of them, 
and um, you know, and 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 so com- companies really have to prove out that they are they they are paying people equitably, regardless of gender, race, ethnicity, sexual preferences, and those kind of things. And let's just talk about um, kind of severance and, and and what that looks like okay. and what the what the deals look like. So investors will have a very sharp eye. Um, they also have uh, the say on golden parachute um, opportunity where they can say whether they like the they can vote uh, on whether they like the pay arrangements or not um, at, at, at pertaining to change of control. So if I'm investor on one side of the deal and and I'm being asked to approve a deal you know approve a merger I'm also going to be asked whether I approve of the pay packages that go along with that deal because let's face it sometimes people are going to lose their job in a merger situation and they are going to um, have a what we call a change of control package so it's the deal they get um, uh, upon exit of the organization, and often those deals, for at least for executives, are richer than a normal severance package would be. And the idea behind that is that you want executives who are doing a deal who may not be individually enriched as, as much because they might not have a job <laughs> in the new entity, right. um, that, that they're incentivized to overcome that, um, you know, overcome acting in a in, in a self-interested way, and um, they will just show up act work. in the company's best interest, and so they get an extra incentive to do that. And what mm-hmm. investors want to make sure is that those extra incentives are reasonable. And in some cases, they are. In some cases, they aren't. So, for example, um, with the Dow-DuPont merger, um, investors really didn't like the pay package because there was accelerated equity vesting, and um, as opposed to prorated equity vesting, and there were some pretty big payouts, and hmm. they still voted for the deal, even though they voted um, there was there was a negative, a pretty negative vote on sand golden parachute. So we see situations like that as well that um, companies really need to pay attention to. Um, yeah, the one the one other thing I did want to talk about is this whole area of inclusion, and inclusion is. Is, is, is an important theme anyway in um, the whole ESG realm. Um, and the companies are really paying attention to it. It's that sense of belonging as to whether uh, somebody belong, you know, feels like they belong in an organization, feels like they belong as part of a work group. And what's interesting is that in any merger situation, um, here again, people are at risk, particularly you know, down the line in the organization, but also up and down, um, as to feeling like they don't belong because it's a whole new platform that's being created. And um, they might feel out of place. They might feel like they, uh, they they really don't belong there. They might not feel included in things. And they may have been working from, from home for the last year. Well, that's a really good point, too. <laughs> How do you integrate with uh, work-from-home right. strategies and work-from-home um basically norms. Right? Okay, yeah. So what what I have seen companies do and the, the advice is to um, kind of survey the population, almost over-survey them and, and ask questions about, 
you know, how people are feeling about the acquisition and how they are kind of processing it. Uh, and those surveys help establish a baseline as to how people are viewing the acquisition, how they're feeling about things, but also kind of what the trajectory looks like uh, over time. And we have heard from our clients that, well, the surveys might be annoying because you might survey a lot. Um, it's, it's really helpful because if you have a problem where people aren't feeling like they're heard or they're not feeling like they belong, you can start to address it um, at, its, at its very initial stages as opposed to waiting until it's too late. And we talked about retention of, of the workforce earlier in this uh, discussion. And I think making sure that problems are identified earlier rather than later and then um, headed off at the pass is, is a really important component to retention. And that's what we have, uh, we have seen our, our clients say in terms of what creates a successful merger and what, you know, what could lead to a failed one. And, and predictably, it's, it, what comes up is this issue of inclusion or, or feeling not included. Exactly. And in an environment where that's so important anyway, I think it, it's doubly important in a merger and acquisition situation. You know, you know what my solution is, and I've said this to IR Magazine for years, um, baseball, baseball teams. You've got to have caps, <laughs> kind of intramural weekend baseball. Love it. Uh, a league, <laughs> and uh, that's a solution to so many problems. But. Yeah, baseball cap and T-shirts. Inclusion via baseball caps, yeah. yeah. Yep. It worked yeah. for professional baseball. Well, that's where the, the, <laughs> that's where the equity pool does it, too. Now you're part of um, you know, a new company, and uh, you're going to get equity in this new company, even, even mm-hmm. broader in the organization, and um, we're going to celebrate that. So it's, it's, yeah, that and the baseball caps and the identity. You know, you're talking about identity there, right, with the, with the baseball caps. And I think that's, that's a really important point. You, you want everybody identifying with NUCO, with the new organization. <laughs> yep, yep. And don't skimp on the baseball caps either. Nice baseball caps, nice ones. ones yeah, nice yeah <laughs> exactly. Good one. <laughs> I only half jest, but um, it's true. Um, okay, uh, Robin, anything else? I mean, can we, can we, I don't, maybe you had something else in mind that I've cut you off, but um, otherwise I'd bring you down to what all this means for, for boards specifically, what they should be thinking about, or, and in particular corporate secretaries, but I mean. Yeah, I think, I think boards play an incredibly critical role. Not only do they really make sure the acquisitions are going to, you know, pass muster for the shareholders from an economic perspective, but I actually think boards more and more um, are, realizing that acquisitions tend not to, or mergers tend not to um, not to be successful or unsuccessful based on just the economics they tend to be successful or unsuccessful based on the culture and being able to combine two cultures which is a, a you know delicate process and the compensation and making sure that the compensation you end up with commonality in terms of compensation strategy and program design and things of that nature, as opposed to, um, a, you know, divisiveness. And time and time again, we're told by our, our clients that the thing that gets underestimated and probably gets dealt with later than it should is culture and compensation, and those should get, um, those should get attention earlier rather than later. 
And I think it, you know, one can take several steps and um, do a good job on understanding, doing some due diligence around the compensation um, up front. And you can say, you know, what are the kind of, how does the other side get paid? There's a lot you can find out about what's different. Um, you can look at their proxies. Uh, what's different from ours? What are the kind of issues we're going to have to address? What does board compensation even look like? And I think boards can take a very proactive view and compensation committees in particular can take a very proactive view around that to help de-risk the merger or acquisition, which is important in an already risky situation. And that's your Governance Matters podcast. My thanks to Fariant CEO Robin Farricone. And thank you for listening. In Montreal, I'm Jeff Cossette.